Welcome to Pondering AI. My name is Kimberly Nevola. I'm a strategic advisor here at SAS, and I'm so honored to be hosting our second season in which we talk to a diverse group of thinkers, doers, and activists, all working to ensure our AI-enabled future puts people and the environment first. Today, I'm so happy to bring you Vincent Montalive. Vincent leads Capgemini's sustainable AI practice, and he will help us understand the yin and the yang of AI's relationship with our environment. Thank you for joining us, Vincent. Thank you for the invitation. Very pleased to be here. Now, I'm finding that everyone at the cutting edge of AI has really interesting multidimensional backgrounds, and you are no exception. Will you share a bit about how you came to be a practitioner of both engineering and marketing? Yeah, I mean, um, I actually, I started as a global engineer, general engineer. I, I studied supply chain uh, at the very beginning of my career um, for, for, for two years. And maybe you know, but when you, you start engineer uh, diploma, you, you have to study this um, very start, very beginning of the AI, what we call um, operational research model with a Monte Carlo simulation and stuff like that. So it was um, a couple of back years ago, to be honest. And the terminology AI itself was not really part of the studying there. But then from time to time um, on my career, I switched from, I would say, the business analyst part, uh, leveraging data, um, leveraging globally digital technology uh, just to to work on a better future. So it was either on the circular economy or uh, also for monitoring CSR within industries. So yeah, um, um, I had a couple of jobs um, that are really, um, I would say, at the crossroad of sustainability and, 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 and IT and data especially. So I'm quite honored to, to join Capgemini two years ago, uh, as you said, to lead a, a global offer on sustainability, uh, data, AI, and analytics, to be more precise. So coincidentally, I am also an engineer by training. I'm a chemical engineer. Okay. So I always tell people that my first coding language was Fortran, which now <laughs> yeah. dates me. Yeah, that. Yeah, but yeah. It's a good tell one. us a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> what does your current role as Capgemini's AI sustainability lead entail? So basically, my role is to help our client to um, leverage data, AI, and analytics um, for achieving their sustainable goals. So it is... Uh, really crucial for Capgemini to now have a dedicated sustainability program and, and data is a really um, part of it. Uh, we call it also data for net zero strategy program internally. So it's a worldwide program. Fascinating. Now there is certainly a passionate debate about AI's influence, both good and bad, on the environment going on yep. right now. And, and you're at the center of that discussion. So we're going to talk about both aspects, but let's start with the good. AI certainly is already playing a role in helping us both improve our conservation efforts and protecting the planet's ecosystem. What are some of the most innovative and or important applications you're seeing today? Um, what we can currently see is um, AI is currently leveraging for better understanding our environment, better monitoring our impact, I must say. Uh, we're still in a time where we are um, doing our simulation based on some mathematical layer, some simulation layer, and 
AI and, and data is a, as a good momentum that can bring real-time measurement. So, for example, um, we, we, we build uh, a program for the European um, station that had the ambition to monitor the real-time CO2 emission around the globe. So, to be honest, maybe there is only a few people that, that are aware of this uh, news because we are talking about climate change all the time, but um, we, we don't really know that we don't have yet the capability to monitor real-time the CO2 emission around the world. So this is a, an example that what we are building right now. Um, so the mission is like micro grab, something like that. You can have a look on the, on the internet. So this is a first step, a first achievement, which is switching from simulation, simulating modeling, uh, thanks to the mathematical layer, to uh, a reality of measurement. And, and, and AI can bring a lot of better understanding, some specific measurement coming from satellites, radar, and stuff like that. Uh, I won't go into de to, to de uh, detail in the technical step. And, and maybe second example I can also uh, share with you is regarding the environment itself. What we encounter right now when we are engaging the discussion with the client is mostly AI is here to, let's say, do a job that a human can't do. Because there is also in the debate, uh, not only whether or not AI is good for our planet, but also whether AI will, you know, um, take our job. So I, I need um, to say a word regarding the fact that in this particular uh, project, which is on the forest management project, uh, basically the AI here is there to monitor how the forest is sick or not. And the human that was there before, just to make sure there is no problem in a big forest, he did not have the time, you know, to go everywhere in the forest to see whether or not there is some sickness. So AI, with leveraging satellite images, can uh, then alert this specific guard to say, you need to go there, have a look, because it could be a good starting point to look at these trees uh, to make sure um, we, we have our forest in good health. So this is another example that um, I can share with you, uh, which is no more on the measurement itself, but much more on the monitoring and alerting system. Yeah, and, and I love that example because it's a good illustration of us thinking about AI not as an entity in and of itself, not as something that's coming at us autonomously, but as a tool for us, something to extend our capabilities and exactly. something that we can shape to really use to our it's advantage. Crucial. So that's, yes. yeah, that's a fantastic one. Now, I saw a report recently, and I think it may, in fact, have been on the Capgemini site that was talking about AI's role in corporate sustainability. And you talked about the, the zero net sustainability. And I know you yep. also are very much tied into the UN sustainability development goals, many mm -hmm. of which are looking at industrial type uh, applications. Mm -hmm. And I believe I saw that AI has already helped reduce greenhouse gases for manufacturing, for instance, by 14%. Mm -hmm. And there was a projection that it could potentially help retailers. And I think the end date was 2030, reduce their carbon emissions by 40%. Mm -hmm. Will you talk a little bit about what you're seeing in terms of applications and trends in that realm, in terms of industrial and, and corporate or business applications? Yes, sure. Again, uh, to give you um, a rough idea of our current discussion with our clients here, 
uh, we are leveraging data, AI, and analytics to to do mainly one thing for our cloud. They want to switch from uh, a reporting logic, like each year, how much do I emit, how much regarding all CSR KPI uh, I, I put on my CSR report that nobody wants to read because uh, it's unreadable, <laughs> uh, um, to something that is more applicable on each layer of the value chain. So it's been for, uh, as an example, for the chief procurement officer, what will be um, a new way to integrate sustainability as a currency, the carbon as a cost, when I'm doing my trade-off, whether or not I will uh, choose this supplier or this supplier, instead of just calculating an analytic based on TCO, like total cost of ownership, um, I need now to integrate the carbon cost because I am committed to net zero. Uh, I need some new tools, some new analytics, some new data to make this kind of trade-off along the value chain. So this is something that are coming very strongly across uh, all industries. The demand is very high, uh, and this is mainly the reason why uh, they want to switch for this reporting to, um, let's say, an, an acting perspective, because otherwise you can't act, right? We are currently in, in the decade of action, so it's good to commit, but now we need to switch <laughs> from commitment to action, right? So this is where, uh, again, AI, data analytics is playing a, a, a huge role. It's not the silver bullet, but at least it can help the CXO to better manage their operation. Another example, uh, I had a, um, uh, a discussion a week ago with a, a big uh, emitter uh, in terms of CO2. It's, it's a cement industry. So, you know, it's awful the way they are emitting uh, green uh, gases emission and, and especially uh, carbon. They don't want to rely anymore again on the simulation. They want to put a dedicated sensors on top of their uh, plant to see how much uh, is the CO2 emitted you know, in real time, and then do some predictive analytic or do some at least recommendation to change the way the operator are using the machine to build this uh, one ton of assignment to uh, decrease the amount of carbon emission regarding this uh, one ton uh, produce. And at the end, what will happen is that this kind of corporation will capable to share not only a price at the end of the processes of manufacturing this kind of assignment, but also a carbon footprint. So whether depending on the way I manufacture my product, I will be then able to share a carbon cost on each of my products. I said, hey, this is um, the reality of, so of the demand, right? Because we are, uh, as a customer, want to act also as a responsible consumer and, and we want to choose also to some product that are uh, no more carbon uh, EV. So this is, this is the trend we can see currently in, in the manufacturing uh, industry and, and overall in the corporate industry. That is such a great trend. And I love hearing that because I think in a lot of cases when we're talking with folks and what, what I hear and what I see when I'm reading is certainly a lot of good intent, but a lot of individuals, maybe it's that manager of that plant and the engineers on the floor would like to be able to support and drive these initiatives, but haven't had the tools and frankly haven't been given the authority or the responsibility to be able to act on those and make decisions that actually would make a difference today, as opposed to looking back, as you said, in the future, projecting based on that. And in that case, we're always projecting the past onto the future and and trying to 
catch up. So this idea that we're now really sharing responsibility and driving that down to the folks who can make different decisions on a day-to-day basis is really exciting. It struck me as you were talking about the supply chain, though, that certainly there's a number of challenges potentially and really understanding. We talk even in, in the age of COVID about folks trying to get visibility into their complete supply chain, which has been a challenge. How do you coordinate all of the stakeholders? Because this is not just the manufacturer or the retailer, it's them throughout those partners, right? And the other vendors and suppliers in their supply chain. What is the mechanism that folks are using to get everyone involved so that you in fact do get the information in that complete picture? Yeah, I mean, that's um, a good question. It's a, uh, to be honest, it's a long journey. Definitely, uh, there is no silver bullet. In terms of uh, architecture, we are releasing, I think we released a month ago, uh, a new report. I don't know if you have the time to have a look on it, on, on data ecosystem, which is, um, I think, really the, the first foundation to gather all this data uh, that you mentioned uh, along the supplier of the supplier and the supplier of the supplier. Um, we, we had also a couple of projects where uh, blockchain could be an enabler, you know, to, to build that trust with all these um, uh, actors along the, the supply chain. But for now, how it is, it is mainly uh, at the first level. And then we ask this supplier, as far as I can see within the data system, uh, also to address this kind of KPIs or this kind of question to uh, level two of, of, of the supplier. And this is the way it is right now. There is, there is this data ecosystem uh, that needs to be addressed as a proper value chain. So what could be taken out of this uh, data ecosystem? I give you an example. With only retailer and producer, there could be um, a lot of data that could be exchanged that produce more value and also for the sustainability. For instance, the retailer do not have yet access to uh, the real carbon footprint of, of the product and, and the producer can, can share that information with, to the retailer, right? And the retailer can share in exchange, for example, the reality of the sales and, you know, some data regarding uh, improving the sales uh, regarding whether or not uh, because these products are more uh, carbon EV, it's not sold anymore and stuff like that. So we can see uh, this as an opportunity for our client also to breed some some data ecosystem. But yeah, there is no typical silver bullet on, on, on that question. It's, it's still something that we need to, to tackle, I may say. Well, and I'm sure you've heard this before as well. It's often said that we as organizations today are already data rich and information poor. And and what I hear you saying is there's a lot of data we're not using and sharing and integrating today that can allow us to make a lot of progress. So progress over perfection. And there's no, it doesn't sound like there's any barrier right now for us to make really germane improvements today using the information we have. Yep. Yeah. Now we would be highly remiss if we didn't shift our focus to the other side of this argument. And namely, a lot of discussion about that, yes, AI may be able to support a lot of these sustainability initiatives, but perhaps AI requires its own sustainability initiative. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit and cut through that discussion and get down to the basics here. You've observed that AI, like any other technology, will consume energy. And not everyone's finding this a very compelling argument, however. So, you know, let's just ask the question, just how inefficient mm-hmm. are AI algorithms? 
I think we we are um, as an industry uh, within the IT industry still a, a mature industry that want to uh, think about a way to build some more eco-responsible AI or efficient AI, whatever we we name it. But there are still some progress that needs to be done at the research level. Uh, so just to give you an example, uh, in one hand, it has been proved that uh, we, as much data, the, the more data we have, the more accurate is the model, right? Right. So this is something that has been proven. So there is no solution here. Uh, instead, uh, I mean, finding a new way uh, to implement machine learning. And this is currently some research paper um, that are still under progress. Uh, this is a fact. But it doesn't mean that for all use cases, you will need uh, big data, you will need AI to solve your problem, right? So um, this is something where we can um, make a particular step, say, okay, look, another example, you can uh, do some warehouse optimization, uh, leveraging uh, simple models by implementing some clustering methods, by implementing some regression models that don't need to be trained, you know, like days or, or weeks or, or, or whatever. So then on the other end, we can see that on the press, we've seen some press release on the GPT-3 that consume how many, I don't remember, 250... It was an eye-opening stat. It was something like every training run emits as much sort of carbon emissions as five cars emits in a year, right? I think it was something like that. Yes, exactly. Uh, five cars or, uh, or five uh, New York, Paris. So I don't remember yeah. how, how it was uh, big, uh, but... Uh, and not electric cars. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we, we need to, <laughs> to, to keep in mind that this carbon model um, need to be trained only once, right? Uh, after... This uh, model, most of them are released as an open source to to then use it as it is pre-trained with all the weight, uh, part of all this neural layer uh, that can be reused um, almost as it is. And you can do what we call transfer learning technique um, to then um, find uh, the, the result you want to find uh, when you implement such a, an algorithm. So it is important to say that uh, these figures are not the one that is used when we use this kind of models. And to be honest, GPT-3, nobody, I mean, there is just a few of corporations that use this kind of modeling. Uh, currently, AI, um, to give you another example, AI at scale uh, today, it's only... 15% in the industry, so there is still a lack of AI maturity at scale worldwide in, in the corporation. And for GPT-3, nobody, almost nobody, and, and, and no corporation are using this kind of model. The main model that we are using, for example, when we are implementing some forecasting modeling, some... Um, I don't know what kind of example some. Even the computer vision uh, that seems to be very heavy in terms of uh, energy uh, consume. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we did this example with a dedicated client. We tried to figure out how much we used in terms of energy to train, to retrain this model because it was for actually capture some egg and the um, 
the state of the art of the pre-trained model uh, that we could uh, reuse uh, wasn't trained to to recognize egg, right? It was trained to <laughs> recognize uh, uh, cats, oh. <laughs> uh, uh, human, plane, uh, trees, right. or whatever, right? But uh, egg, it, it's quite uh, different. Um, so we had to retrain this model to make sure um, it recognized egg, and to do so. We need 500 hours in on a single computers, so we we then calculate you know how much uh, emission in terms of CO2 footprint that represents, and at the end, uh, by implementing such an AI within this industry, it was to improve the quality control. We realized that after 10 minutes of production, it compensates you know the number of hours that was needed to train to retrain this this model. So. I think we, we may have this in mind when we are producing an AI to at least calculate our emission, report on our mission, see whether or not there is no a simplified way to at least give a, a result um, that could be okay for the client. No need to go directly on machine learning if it's not the need of the client. So go on the business need instead of the technical stack and, and see how we can help this client, not only by leveraging machine learning only, but some, some other technique in AI uh, that could be, I don't know, some constraint programming uh, also that can be leveraged and no need uh, to be trained. So yeah, AI is very big topic and vast topic. And, and, and there are a lot of technology under the umbrella of AI that is uh, not at all a, a huge consumption, I would say. Yeah, and two other I'm going to say models, although I don't necessarily mean those in the AI sense, you know, that I've heard people talking about as well. We should really start to project forward and look at all of the good, right? Where can we actually support conservation, subtract all of the bad in terms of the energy and other effects? And then we sort of come to a judgment, is AI ultimately good or bad? That strikes me as a, maybe not the best way to think about this, not the least of which is due to the fact that I think it's very difficult to put this genie back into the bottle. But what you just said is that, you know, we probably can do that on a on a smaller and an incremental basis, the same way we're thinking about how do we make our business operations, you know, writ large, have a net zero impact. We can be looking at our business processes, which use AI and making those net zero. And that calculation of what the analytic model is, is using and generating should be part of that. The other argument I've heard is that, yes, but maybe it's 15% today, but it's it's Increasing exponentially, right? AI yep. is coming in. So therefore, but what I hear you also saying, and tell me if I've gotten this right, is that increased or linear or even exponential growth in things like artificial intelligence are not necessarily going to be matched by a linear or exponential growth in their carbon footprint. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I released on, on one of my blog posts a link um, that gives some figures regarding uh, if we look at our 10 years back, the growth of data uh, is incredible, right? We all know that. But nevertheless, the growth of the energy that are supplying our data centers are flat, or almost flat. So you can see these curves uh, are not in there at all. So we are currently doing some progress um, also on the energy efficiency of our data center. Um, I mean, I'm not saying here there is no more progress to be done and stuff like that. I'm just trying to share some some figures and I completely agree that still we we, we need even to do more and more and more to progress on, on, on that perspective. 
but yeah, if you think about some global figures, uh, 4% is due to the IT. AI itself within this 4% will be something like 0.05 maybe, or it's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a guess, I, I don't know, but it, it, it's almost nothing uh, regarding these four total percent. It is true that there is a curve and growth, but as I said, we, we, if we rely on the past data uh, that we have currently, uh, we can see that even if the data is getting bigger and bigger, uh, the energy that has been provided to this kind of data center wasn't, uh, is flat. The energy demand was flat. Excellent. So I want to turn the page a little bit and, and talk to you. you. Do work and advise with a lot of organizations worldwide. Is there a playbook or key mindsets or best practices you advise those companies to adopt in thinking about applying AI or adopting AI for their own sustainable initiatives? Maybe um, to start with AI, I recommend to start with data. Right, so. AI is kind of, you know, a sexiest word and we, we want to implement AI for, um, I don't know, tackling climate change. But at, at the very beginning, um, it's about data. And so to start the journey uh, and we can see that the, the clients are moving on that way, it's fair to implement what we call some, you know, just some some data governance missions to be able to identify regarding uh, what you you want to measure regarding what you are committed, right? You you committed to net zero, so it's about carbon. Where your carbon are emitting along your value chain? Where are your data? What are the systems that can provide this data or not? Do we need to go external, internal? So it's really um, a dedicated data domain on sustainability that needs to be built. Uh, I might say. So that's my, my, my first recommendation to implement a proper data strategy for the sustainability and, and, and a proper data domain for, for, for climate, for biodiversity, for inclusive diversity, for green investment, uh, from, I don't know, green procurement or, you know, along again the value chains. You can, have in mind the CXO, procurement, supply chain. So you will need some KPI on the transport, reduction emission of the transport for the operation, the emission of your plant, the procurement, the green material included in your materials and, and so on, right? So everything is about data. So you need to have this data catalog in front of you and see where are your sources and then build your analytic. And then on top of that, you have this... Um, after building this sustainable analytics, I may say, you know, along the CXO, you have yeah. this uh, AI that could play uh, a role where you can uh, leverage this data, for example, um, to do some predictive analysis, for example, to identify pattern where, let, let's take an example, otherwise it's maybe too theoretical. Um, if I come back to the supply chain, one of the most emitter, let's say, role within the supply chain is the uh, air freight, right? Air freight consuming a lot of CO2. Instead of uh, doing uh, air freight, we can do some rail, some some cars or, or whatever, um, some boats. Uh, but we can see there is um, here some, some, some different possibilities that we can choose if you are, let's say, an example, a car manufacturer, okay? And here, AI can identify why air freight has been put as a solution 
instead of other uh, low-cost solution, low-carbon solution, and identify the, the patterns to then avoid um, this kind of event to be uh, reproduced and then reduce the carbon emission due uh, of using this air freight. So that's another example. So, But again, it's first you need to identify regarding your analytics, monitor what are your, your, the hotspots, and then leverage AI to uh, reduce where are your hotspots. So yeah, it's maybe in three steps. Data, analytics, and AI. Yeah, that makes great sense. And we've been having a lot of discussions about the need for diversity in AI around all aspects of this. We talk a lot about bringing in the social science and behavioral science and ethicists. And what struck me as you were talking is that we also, in in areas like this, like sustainability, if we are going to be serious about that, we need to bring in the domain expertise for this as well. As you said, it's its own data domain. It's its own subject matter expertise, how you think about it, how you piece that together. So that's a great tidbit to leave our audience with. Now, you are speaking with customers and clients and up to speed on, on all of the latest advancements here. What do you think will be the most consequential advancements in sustainability with AI over the next five to 10 years? Um, it depends. Is it on the green AI aspect or the AI for sustainability aspect? Yes, please. Um, <laughs> both. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I think uh, we, 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 we can definitely find a way um, to implement AI more efficiently in terms of, uh, I don't know, to be to be honest, maybe something like avoid this massive data to have some accurate modeling. This is something I, I hope we, we will be able to achieve in, 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 in a couple of years. Uh, so this is the, the research part we, we mentioned earlier on the discussion for the green AI aspect. We can also think about AI in a more decentralized way uh, by mm-hmm. leveraging edge computing or stuff like that, which I think also uh, reduce um, the number of data that is sent uh, across all the systems instead of having something centralized. Maybe think about uh, an architecture that we call, you know, also data mesh. So where, you know, the data are within the department, the data owner are decentralized where the business are, the data owner are, instead of just, you know, putting everything in a data lake and then reporting in the business uh, uh, department. So, yeah, we, we need to think about some more maybe green modeling architecture way of thinking when it is about data and, and, and AI. It is something that is coming. It is not, um, uh, it is not something uh, as an idea. It is, it is something that is currently coming on, on this green aspect. And regarding the other, the AI for sustainability, I think we, we are not yet there. Uh, if you read the report, uh, you may also have seen that in addition to the contribution of AI to reduce the greenhouse gas emission, there is also one little number somewhere in the report saying like um, there is only 3%, 3% of the organization uh, that have implemented AI at scale for all the um, climate AI use cases. So for me, uh, when I saw this number, 
I say, uh, okay, there is still 97% that the organization <laughs> did not leverage AI in order to tackle their, you know, their CSR challenge, their climate change challenge uh, within the organization. So uh, for me, I'm not here saying like, you know, in 10 years, AI will be capable of doing this, you know, silver bullet of uh, climate change. Uh, I'm not uh, quite confident about this uh, theory, but I'm more confident on in 10 years, Hopefully, 80% of the organization will have the capability to implement AI scale to reduce the carbon footprint thanks to data, AI, and analytics. I think that's a fantastic challenge and goal <laughs> for us to, to leave everyone with. So, Vincent, thank you so much for helping us really understand that dichotomy between AI's appetite for energy and its positive contribution to our environment and environmental sustainability. Once again, I think we've learned there are no cut and dry answers when it comes to AI. Definitely. Thank you very much, Nevada. Kimberly, sorry. Awesome. So now next up, the discussion is going to continue with Baroness Kidron. She is the chair of the Five Rights Foundation, which is leading the fight to protect children's rights and well-being in the digital age. Subscribe now to Pondering AI so you don't miss it.